Hello everyone, this is George Mapp with the Carolina Tar Wheels. At our most recent meeting, our guest was Fire Captain Jeff Howard. Jeff has 10 years of experience in both fire and EMS as a first responder. His topics today are safety, first aid, and what we should do at an accident scene. So, here's Jeff. My name is Jeff Howard. I am a captain with Durham County Fire Rescue, what used to be Parkwood and Bethesda Fire Departments. For those of y'all who have been around for a little while, you've probably heard of one or both of those. Um, I am a Chapel Hill native, born and raised in Chapel Hill, uh, went to Chapel Hill High School, disappeared for a few years to go to ECU, and then came back uh, to work in commercial construction. And then that went downhill, so I joined the fire service. Uh, and I absolutely love it. So tonight I'm going to be talking to you guys about first aid, for cyclists. I used to bike in college. I don't bike as much anymore. So we're going to be talking about a few different things this evening. Causes of accidents. Where can accidents happen? Uh, on the road and off the road. Uh, basic treatment for accidents that you guys can do. If you see a fellow cyclist have an accident, what can you do to help them out? How to help EMS and fire. That's us. After you dial 911, what's the best thing you can do to help us out once we get there? And then a uh, first aid kit, very, very basic first aid kit for cyclists. So where do accidents happen? They happen in two places. They happen on the road and they happen off the road. When I say off the road, we're talking about trails. But first, accidents on the road. The first one we're calling the left hook. You're biking forward in an intersection. Cars making a left turn, they're coming towards you making a left turn, they don't see you, they're looking at their phone, they're talking on the phone, they're texting, they're screaming at their child who's making noise in the back seat, whatever, distracted drivers are everywhere. I can attest to that, we see distracted drivers uh, at least once a day. The right hook, the funny thing about the right hook, because I had one not that long ago, the driver of the vehicle we stopped at a stop sign. They were, they said they were about six or eight feet back from the, from the stop sign. Said they saw the biker go past. Looked at the biker, said, hey, look at the biker. Stepped on the gas and made a right turn and smacked right into the biker. So when we talked to them, it said, so you said you saw the biker. Why didn't you let them clear the intersection first? Because the bicyclist said he stopped at the stop sign, looked both ways, and then went. Why didn't you let them clear the intersection? The response was, I didn't think about it. Happens. As I'm sure you guys are aware, it's not always you guys as cyclists that cause the problems. It's the drivers around us. This is why every once in a while I think I want a motorcycle. Because, you know, motorcycles are, I'm young-ish. I turned 33 yesterday. Um, I'm young-ish. I want a motorcycle. I want to go fast. And then whenever I want one, I run a wreck with a motorcycle, and it's usually he got hit by a car, a uh, car slammed on the brakes in front of him, and he ran to them. Either way, it's loads of road rash. Makes me like, mm, don't want it. That's why I don't bike on roads anymore. It's one of the reasons why I stopped biking in college, was because I kept seeing people get hit. Um, it can be very dangerous. T-bone. Everyone knows what a T-bone is. Bike goes one direction, car goes the other. Bam. Happens, not as often as others. Doors. I hear chuckles. Has anyone ever been doored? Door opens up and you bike right into it. I had one six-ish months ago. The bicyclist ended up 
hitting the door. He somehow went over. I think it was a convertible, or they had the window down. He went over. He was okay. Destroyed the door. They ended up having to replace the door completely on the car. Um, so I think the cyclist won in that case. And drifting. This is a big one out in rural Orange County, those narrow roads, Dairyland Road, um, Orange Grove Road. Anyone familiar with those? Yeah? Okay. Pleasant Green. Uh, I'm building a house up off Pleasant Green. I see a lot of bikers on Pleasant Green. Narrow roads. Um, drivers aren't paying attention as they are entering that curve, or they just kind of drift right into where everyone's biking. So all things to be aware of. What can you as bikers do to avoid some of these situations? Be visible, absolutely. So, reflective vest. Who wears reflective clothing when they're biking? Cool. Who bikes at night? Anybody? Everyone bike during the day? Mostly. Okay. Good point. Good point. So, biking during the day, being as visible as you can. What's the other thing you think you can do to just help avoid some of these incidents? Lights on your bike. Absolutely. Lights never hurt. Um, especially those flashing lights. They just tend to draw people's attention a little bit more than uh, just a, a steady burning light. Some of us have radar. Have radar? Yes, he does. Explain that to me. Garmin has a unit out that has LEDs across the top. Uh-huh. You put it on the back. Uh-huh. And if a car gets within about a football field of you, it, it starts to light up. the intensity or frequency of the flash. And also on your Garmin head unit, you will put a note, a small white dot for each car it sees, and the dot moves forward as the car gets closer. Wow, that is impressive. That's cool. Does it help? Uh, yes, I believe it does. I've got mirrors on the bike also. Okay. Uh, and I think some of the people that are used to it and bike behind me mm -hmm. realize that when they see that light change, so are you ever going to be able to prevent every one of these from ever happening to you? No. But maintaining awareness. Um, always assume that every driver around you is clueless. Best way to put it. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Assume they don't know that you're there. Even if, and for the example I gave for the, the right hook, driver said, oh yeah, I saw him. Didn't, didn't click in their head that they needed to wait for the cyclist to proceed through the intersection. Down your first one in the left one, you actually show a bike lane, but a lot of times you've got people that drift up past all the stop traffic. Which I hate. If I'm in, if I'm in, in line with traffic, mm -hmm. I'm behind the car. Right. I'm in sure. with the traffic. Sure. But there's a lot of people that will do that and then either try to get a head start through the light when it's ready to change or, you know, they'll make, you know, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's really dangerous. Yeah. So we talk about defensive driving. So defensive biking, defensive cycling. Try and always be aware of your surroundings. And like I said, assume that, that every driver you encounter is clueless and they don't know you're there. And if you try and adjust your behavior to the assumption that, hey, they could pull into me at any point, does it make your ride a little less enjoyable, perhaps? But once you start get, once that becomes second nature, you know that you're always assuming that someone doesn't know what they're doing. It means you're going to go home at the end. Can I have one? With yeah. Uh, especially on a hill with a lot of curves. One thing I've always done, whether it's myself or in a group, if you really back a traffic up, I know you've got legal right to that lane and stuff. But there's times when you just need to go inside. 
Good stop. Take a break. Let that traffic clear out. Mm -hmm. Sure. Valid. It's valid. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So roads are dangerous. Off-road accidents. Are trails dangerous? Sometimes they can be just as dangerous. So a couple different ways there can be accidents on the trails. Other bicyclists. Who's seen a biker tip over into another biker? Who's accidentally bumped another biker? YouTube videos. You can see lots of people in those road races where one biker tips over and they wipe out like 20 others. It can happen. Pedestrians and pets. Especially on the, like, the tobacco trail, I see a lot of people walking, jogging with dogs on leashes. And other objects, rocks, debris, and trees. This one right here is a low-hanging branch. It's about this tall. So you're, you know, you're, sitting, you're, you're, you're cycling, you're, you're kind of looking forward a little bit, but your head's mostly down because better wind aerodynamics, I guess, or you're just kind of tired and you're focused on finishing those miles and you're not really looking that far ahead. What happens? That that branch that's about head height comes in or just below head height comes in. You don't realize to the last second. You see it, you sit up, what's it do? Hits you right in the chest, knocks you clean off, the, off your bike. Hurts a lot. Um, it can cause some, some rib fractures, not to mention just, you know, knock the breath out of you. If it hits further up, you could have some facial trauma, some neck trauma, compromise your airway. There's some serious concerns there. Also with branches across the trail, we've, we've actually had some people call 911 say, hey, there's a tree across the tobacco trail. Can someone come out and help us move it? We're happy to do that. Fire department will do that. You dial 911 if they don't know who to send. Police department, nope, they can't do that. EMS, nope, they can't do that. They always send the fire department. We're the public service toolbox. We're the, the masters of none and jacks of all trade. We've got chainsaws on the truck. We will come help you if your, your, your pipe bursts inside your house and you don't know how to turn the water off. We'll come do that too, even at 3 o'clock in the morning. They'll send the fire department out. We'll come out. We'll cut that tree, drag it out of the way so that no one runs over it. And what happens if you bike into a, a tree that's this big around? Not gonna, not gonna end well. So being aware of your surroundings, looking far enough ahead to identify hazards is, is huge. I'm sure we all sometimes just get into a trance. Not necessarily always aware of, of what's going on in front of us. If it's not an emergency or something that's dangerous, you have something called Durham 1, which is a call center for the non-emergency. Mm -hmm. So the Durham, um, the, yeah, there's a non-emergency number for the 911 center. It's answered by the same folks that answer the phone if you dial 911. It's just a lower priority. So if it's a non-emergent thing, 560-4600 is pretty easy. And it's, it's basically if the 911 line is ringing, they're going to ignore that non-emergency number until there's no one dialing 911. <clears throat> so that's, that's also a, a good option. If there's debris on the, on the trail that you need help clearing off, it's a great way to, to get us out there. So basic treatment. Broken it up into five categories. Bumps and bruises, lacerations, extremity injuries, head injuries, and something I'm calling extreme injuries. We'll get there. Bumps and bruises. We're all adults. We've all been treating ourselves bumps and bruises since we were, you know, yay, high-ish. You get a bump, you get a bruise, you tip over on a bike, you bump your elbow, it hurts. Is it the sort of thing that needs immediate attention? No, get back on your bike, work your way, turn around, go home, walk your bike back, that sort of thing. 
fairly minor stuff, something like that. Easy, easy, easy. Lacerations. First thing you want to do is you want to clean the wound. So you have an accident, you cut yourself on the chain, you hit a branch, you fall off and hit a, a sign, because there are metal signs on the trail too. Cut your arm, cut your leg, cut anywhere. The first thing you want to try and do is clean the wound. Everyone has water with them, right? You got a thing of water on the... Yeah. Cool. Use a little bit of water, clean it. What you don't want to do is take your water bottle and squeeze it into the wound and flush it out because you don't want to drive any dirt or anything further inside. What you want to do is prevent any other dirt from getting inside. So if you cut yourself here, you want to try and clean this side and that side. Just rinse it off a little bit to prevent any other chunks of dirt, pine needles, dust, crap, basically, from getting in. Next thing you want to do, if it's bleeding profusely, so lots and lots of blood, is you want to apply direct pressure. Someone might ask, what would you apply direct pressure with? Anybody, anybody. What do you apply direct pressure with? Bandana. Bandana? A, a sock? Ew. A sock? <laughs> a sock absolutely would work. A shirt or shirt sleeve. Um, any garment of clothing. Whenever you're applying direct pressure, you always just want to clamp down over it. We're going to pretend I cut my arm right here. We're going to clamp down over it and hold pressure. Don't do this. I see this a lot. <laughs> Lifting it up and looking at it and putting it back down about every five seconds is not called direct pressure. What you're actually doing is you're agitating the wound. So those platelets that are trying to, to stick together, to coagulate, to help keep your, to help stop you from bleeding, every time you lift your bandage up, you're actually disturbing your wound and you're extending the amount of time it's going to take you to clot. Direct pressure. Hold tight pressure for several minutes, you know, five, ten minutes, until it stops bleeding. If it stops bleeding, fantastic. If it doesn't stop bleeding, you might want to consider activating emergency services, dialing 911, saying you need some help. So let's talk about the clothing that you're wearing. Okay. So generally you're going to have a jersey on. Okay. And some of us might be having some kind of a, a hat or a buff. Both of those are going to be very sweaty. Sure. Use them or not use them? If it's all you've got and you're bleeding profusely, um, I would err more towards use it to help stop the bleeding um, versus not using it and continuing to bleed. Um, and it's, it's situation dependent. It's going to be judgment. It's going to require your judgment to see, is this bleeding a whole lot or is it just, you know, if it's just a trickle of blood that's coming down your arm, you're probably going to be okay. But if you have sliced your arm from here to here, and you are bleeding profusely, lots and lots of blood. You're starting, if you hold your arm down, you're starting to make a little puddle on the ground. Use it. Use it. Um, the other thing, and this will go as part of our, uh, the first aid kit I discussed, a 4x4, four four, a simple 4x4, four four and some roller gauze. We call it cling in the fire service. Um, both of these you can obtain from uh, Walmart, CVS, Target, Walgreens, wherever. Cling is basically, oops, roller gauze and a 4x4. Four four. Um, sure everyone knows what a 4x4 four four is. One or two of these in your first aid kit, apply it. It'll help hold on to, you know, help cover your wound. And if you don't step on the uh, roller gauze like I just did, take it and wrap it around. This allows you, if you wrap it tightly enough, to uh, keep that direct pressure on your arm and you don't have to keep doing this, holding onto your arm, holding your direct pressure. It frees up your arm, eliminates the need to use a belt or a bandana to tie it off, 
keep it nice and tight. Um, something to consider. We'll talk about the first aid kit last. We'll, we'll get there. There's something called quick clot, something like that. Quick clot. So yes, quick clot is a, a hemostatic clotting agent. It's um, basically a bandage with a chemical impregnated in it that helps uh, speed the rate at which you clot. Um, some of the older ones uh, used actually it was ground up. Um, it was a, it was a shellfish of some sort. So it was something we had to know for allergies for folks who are allergic to shellfish. Um, but uh, and it it burned a little bit, but it would help help that blood coagulate, help that wound coagulate. There are a couple of different varieties now that we use that don't use that. There's some newer stuff on the market. One's called Combat Gauze. One is called Z-Pack Gauze, and I forget what the third one's called. Um, but they are absolutely options. They're a little bulkier. They come in, uh, some of them are packages, maybe about three-quarters of an inch tall by two by two, and you, you press it in and you can wrap it around. Others are really big, bulky gauze that you can wrap around yourself. It's absolutely an option if you have a, a severe laceration. We keep that sort of stuff in our bags on the fire trucks, keep them in the bags on the medic trucks to help with severe lacerations. So that's absolutely an option. Activate emergency services if needed. So if you're bleeding really badly, you don't think you can stop it on your own, call 911. If you stop bleeding while we're on the way, you know what, that's okay, we're a free service. You pay your taxes in the state of North Carolina, right? You pay your taxes in Orange County, Durham County, wherever you live, guess what, you're paying for us. So we're a free service to you. Use us. It's okay. If you end up not needing us by the time we get there, that's okay. We're going to take your name, your phone number, see if you need any help, and we're going to go home. And it's not a problem. I've heard there's no charge as long as you don't get in the ambulance. So for EMS, I'm, I'm talking about from the fire side. For EMS, um, generally they do not charge if you don't get transported. Um, there's some wishy-washiness if they treat you, like they provide an intervention and then you don't get transported, you may get a small bill. When I say intervention, I'm thinking like diabetic problems. A lot of folks who have diabetes come out, start an IV, give them drugs, they're better, they know how to take care of themselves from there, that point. That might get a bill, but something like, like an, an accident that we're talking about probably wouldn't if they came and helped you wrap up your arm and then you went home on your own or you had a family member or friend come pick you up. Probably would not get a bill for that. Questions? Hi. Yes, ma'am. Since you say you very frequently go on the ATT, mm -hmm. how do you get a truck on that? It's a great question. So we have a uh, an all-terrain vehicle, a Gator. Um, it's red. It has red lights on it. It's got a little siren. We load it up and actually we keep it loaded in a trailer parked behind our brush truck. If we get a call on the American Tobacco Trail, we automatically respond in that. We grab our EMS bags off the fire engine, put it in the brush truck, and go in that. And that way we can, and we've got keys to all the gates in Durham and in Chatham County. So we can open up the gates and get our gator down there. Um, we have a backboard, so we can put you on a backboard, put you on the med bed, and we can bring you out to EMS, or we can take EMS to you, load you up, and bring you back to the ambulance. I think Wake County has that too. I've seen that on the um, new Capillary Greenway, new mm -hmm. trail, mm -hmm. where they, they unloaded the vehicle at the road mm -hmm. that went down the trail to get guy. Absolutely. Yep. So we have a we have a gator now. It's going to take us a few more minutes to get there than if we just jumped on a truck because we got to hook up a trailer, and you can't drive as fast in a when you're pulling a trailer as you can in a regular truck. But we are coming. So extremity injuries. What's an extremity? Anybody? Arms, legs. That's right. 
For this case, I'm going to refer to a, a collarbone or a clavicle also uh, as an extremity because you're going to want to take care of the arm that said collarbone is attached to. Um, so someone has an extremity injury, broken arm, broken leg, a really bad, bad bruise that you think you broke your arm like I did this morning. Um, call 911. Like I said before, it doesn't hurt to get us coming. And the sooner you call 911, the sooner you activate emergency services, the sooner we're going to be able to be on scene and help render aid. <clears throat> Secure the scene. So if someone is lying in the middle of the, we're going to use the tobacco trail or the road, wherever, lying in the middle of the road, um, the last thing you want is a car or another bicyclist to come up and run over whoever's hurt. We're going to say Mike's lying on the ground. We don't want Mike to get run over by a car or another biker, right? So, <laughs> ouch. I'm sorry, Mike. I'll use George from now on, I promise. Um, <laughs> we don't want Mike to get run over by a car or a bike, right? Right? Okay. So we want to help secure that scene. What I mean by that is if there's a gaggle of you, what, what's a group of bicyclists called? A gaggle? Okay. So there's a gaggle of you. Hey, send someone this way, send someone this way to try and slow people down before you get to them. Secure the scene. Make sure that Mike isn't going to get hurt any further by something else coming into where our incident is. Stabilize the injury. So if... I'm going to use George as my example. Let's pretend George broke his arm. Okay? Or he's broke his collarbone. We're going to use a triangular bandage to help stabilize George's arm. Which, which arm is it, sir? This arm? So that shoulder? All right, so I'm going to use this to help hold it up, elevate it, keep it close to his body. We're going to tie it off. Now we've stabilized his injury on a fairly rudimentary basis, granted. However, it's enough to keep him from aggravating it further. He's going to keep it, keep his arm on top of it. He's going to keep it tucked into his body because whenever you, you hurt an arm, you're going to guard it, right? You're going to keep it close to you. It's just a natural reaction. You don't want anything else to happen to it. So by doing this, you're relieving some of the pressure, especially if it's an upper arm injury. You don't, he doesn't have to support it anymore. He's not going to get fatigued holding his arm up. He can just relax and let the sling do its job, and it'll help stabilize his injury, prevent it from shifting any further, uh, which might aggravate you know, a broken arm, uh, torn ligaments, torn muscles, might help prevent that from getting, getting hurt even more. Does that make sense? Fairly easy, something anybody can do, right? There's a great idea. Spare tube. I hadn't had never considered that. So, great idea. Spare tube, bandana, um, belt. If you're wearing a belt, although I think we established probably won't be having a belt, but a spare tube. Um, keep the patient calm. Wait for help. George, you doing okay, man? Take some deep breaths. All right. Help is on the way. You're going to be okay. <laughs> Simple stuff like that. Maybe give him a sip of water if you've got some extra water for him. Something just to keep him calm that's going to keep his heart rate down, it's going to keep his blood pressure down, it's going to keep his anxiety level down, all which is going to be beneficial if this injury ends up being serious and he needs to have uh, additional interventions, i.e. surgery, something like that. It's going to help keep him calm overall, which is going to improve the, the positive outcome down the road. Make sense? Cool. Head injuries. If it's really serious, you don't want to give them something to drink. True. The first thing they're going to ask is, when did you last eat? 
Sure. A tiny bit of water, just to help calm them down, probably isn't going to hurt. I wouldn't give them a whole cup or a whole bottle, but just a little something, just to, I've found that just a little bit to help wet their tongue, wet their mouth. A lot of times when they've got injuries like this, they get cotton mouth. Patients get cotton mouth very easily because of the anxiety. So a little bit to help wet their mouth will help reduce the overall anxiety that they have. But they're probably a little dehydrated anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we, once we arrive on scene, we can fix the dehydration if that's an issue. I can start an IV and start giving you fluids intravenously within a few minutes after I set eyes on you, which can help fix that, that aspect of it. So explain the head injury, which you're going to get into. Somebody says, okay, they hurt. Um, what's the safest thing that you can give somebody if you're going to give them? What do you mean when you give? The safest pain medication that you could give somebody that just, you know. Someone that's injured, if they've had a head injury or, a, or an extremity injury, I wouldn't give anybody any pain medication. Let, let the first responders, let EMS let the hospital handle that aspect of it. I know it stinks. You know, you, oh man, it really hurts. Tough it out for a few minutes. I know that sounds harsh, but you don't want to give them any medication that could adversely affect if they have to have surgery. Because any medication you give is going to be oral. It means it's going to sit in their stomach and it could delay surgery. Uh, they have to wait till it's digested before they can have surgery. Whereas medications that we can give, we can give intravenously. So we can start an IV, we can give pain meds to help with that, help take that edge off. Morphine, Dilaudid, uh, Phanergan, some of the other fun drugs. They can give that to help take the pain off. It just means you have to wait 10 minutes for us to get there. I mean, the only thing I probably care is I've had that situation where somebody um, had had a food combination the night before. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All of a sudden out on the road, they started having allergic reaction and they quit. Mm -hmm. So... Some of us were flagging down a driver, and the rest of them, we got the fastest riders we had to sprint to the store and get better to them back. You know, sure. Uh, probably kept them alive. So... In that instance where it's an allergic reaction, Benadryl or someone with an EpiPen absolutely could be a life-saving intervention. And I'll hit that a little bit when I get to extreme injuries, extreme incidents. Um, so, head injuries. We're going back to that bicyclist who's... They're biking, they're not really paying attention, and they smack that, that low-hanging branch or that sapling that's bent over. Um, anybody, how do you know if someone could have a possible head injury? Pupils? So pupillary response. Are their pupils equal? Does the black dot inside each eye look even with the other? If one's bigger than the other, that's generally not a good sign. That can be an indication of a concussion or some other head injury. Um, what else? Cracked helmet, absolutely. So a messed up helmet is a sure sign that there is a definite possibility that there is a head or a cervical spine injury. Anything else? Dizziness. Dizziness, absolutely. Someone's dizzy, maybe they throw up. Um, good, absolutely. Anything else? Unconscious. Unconscious. Confusion. Confusion. Don't know where they are, don't know what's going on, not really realizing they had an accident, absolutely. Back pain. Back pain, neck pain are also big ones. So, George had an accident. Hey, man, how you feeling? I don't know. Does your back hurt? Does your neck hurt? Uh, I, I don't know. You don't know. You don't. Okay. You know what? The first thing we're going to do, if I think George hit his head, I'm going to do this right here. I'm going to hold his head still. This is called holding C-spine. We want to immobilize the cervical spine. 
What this does, in case there's any injury to his spine, usually a compression injury or an offset injury, um, we don't want to keep his head still, keep his neck still, keep him as still as possible to prevent him from further aggravating any sort of injury he might have. Um, this is the first thing we're going to do. We're going to activate the emergency services, so call 911. If we're in that gaggle, we're going to send people on each in each direction to slow people down, get people to stop, because you don't want to move a patient who might have a spinal injury or a head injury. You don't want to drag them out of the way. If they're in the middle of the road or in the middle of the path, leave them there. Let everyone else go around you. So you're going to hold C-spine. You're going to secure the scene. Do not remove the helmets. Uh, this goes for motorcycles and for bicycles. Don't remove the helmet because twofold. One, leaving the helmet on for responders to identify where the impact is on the helmet and where the helmet is on the patient will help us identify what type of injury there could be. Second, and most importantly, removing the helmet can aggravate a spinal injury. So by removing, unlatching that helmet and pulling it off, you could accidentally turn their head, which could aggravate a spinal injury. Okay? Does that make sense? So don't, do, don't move the patient. Don't remove the helmet. Hold C-spine. And if they're lying on the ground, do it lying on the ground. You kneel down next to them and hold their C-spine. Talk to them the whole time. Try and keep them oriented. Try and talk to them. See, assess. When you're talking to them, you're basically trying to assess their mental status. Do they know where they are? Do they know their name? Do they remember what happened? All the sort of information will, A, help jog their memory, maybe help bring them back out of it a little bit, and B, it's going to be good information for you to tell us as first responders when we arrive. Stabilize the C-spine and keep the patient calm and wait for help. Cool? And you can do this without any, any tools other than maybe a couple gloves. Probably wouldn't be a bad Bad thing, especially if there's blood. Usually if someone's smacked their head somewhere, they may have a laceration here or there on the face. A pair of gloves, not a bad thing, just to keep blood off your hands. Cool? Extreme injuries. Um, extreme injuries I'm more going to categorize as uh, multi-system traumas. So a really bad accident. Someone gets nailed by a car, they're going to have the potential for a head injury, extremity injuries, um, or I'm also going to categorize that as a medical issue. Someone's cycling, they're on the trail, they're biking, and they have a cardiac arrest. They have a seizure. Their sugar gets too low, and they have a diabetic emergency. All these I'm going to categorize as extreme emergencies because there's not just the traumatic event component of it, there's also a medical emergency that caused the traumatic event. So in any of these cases, whenever you suspect someone might be having a cardiac arrest, might be having a seizure, might be having a diabetic emergency, might be having any sort of medical emergency, call 911. Get us coming. <clears throat> Again, secure the scene and provide life-saving interventions as needed. This can be in the instance of an allergic reaction, trying to obtain an EpiPen or Benadryl, if someone else has an EpiPen. Um, who's CPR certified? A few of us. CPR saves lives, folks. I've been doing this for a little over 10 years. Nothing saves lives more during a cardiac arrest than thumping on a chest. Continuous, effective compressions saves lives. There's no other way to slice it. I would strongly recommend everyone go out and get CPR certified. It's the best way to save a life. Um, there are studies out there. I didn't quote them because I didn't want to bore you with statistics and numbers, but... The, 
likelihood of a positive outcome in instance of cardiac arrest goes up by like 65% if it's a witnessed arrest or a recent arrest and bystander CPR is initiated properly. Compression saves lives. So if someone you think is having a cardiac arrest, start pumping on their chests. How do you know if they're having a cardiac arrest? Used to be ABC, airway, breathing, circulation. They've changed it. It's CAB, circulation, airway, breathing. Circulation, do they have a pulse? If they don't have a pulse, nothing else matters. If their heart's not beating, we don't care about their airway or their breathing because their heart's not working. Fixing those other two isn't going to help. So you start doing your compressions on the chest. Um, that might be something you guys think about doing as another meeting in a couple weeks is having someone come in and do CPR certification. Um, I know some folks who teach it. George knows a couple of folks from the fire department that teach it. That might be something worth, worth investigating. Um, CPR is huge. Go ahead. Because if you know CPR, you're at the most risk because the other people might not know it if you need it. So you need to get all your friends to get CPR. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great point. That's a great point. And you can do CPR anywhere, not just you know when you're out on the bicycle trail. You're at South Point Shopping Center, and you see someone have... They done fall out. That's, that's the phrase here in the South. They done fall out. Um, you walk up to someone, hey, what's going on? Well, they just, they done fall out. That's the best, that's one of the first things that can be done to help save a life. Go ahead. So I have gotten certified multiple times mm -hmm. until this last. Mm -hmm. The problem that I have is because I never actually have used it other than on a dummy, mm -hmm. I don't remember. Sure, and that's, it's, it's absolutely, it's a valid concern. People don't have cardiac arrest every day everywhere. So it's hard for especially bystanders to get actual practical experience. Unfortunately, because doing effective CPR tends to shatter rib cages, it's frowned upon to practice on your friends, which is why we have to use which is why we have to use dummies. And that's part of why the certification cycle is only two years to make people have to recertify so they can get that practice every two years of going over and getting it ingrained in their head. Um, and the best thing to remember is, when it comes to compressions, staying alive. Everyone knows the song, staying alive, dun, 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 staying alive, staying alive. That's 100 beats a minute. So hum that in your head while you're doing compressions and do it to the beat. <clears throat> so, CPR saves lives. I can't stress that enough, guys. Um, I really can't. How to assist fire and EMS. How do you help us if there's an emergency? Um, two parts. Prior to us arrival, prior to our arrival, and after our arrival. So, before you call 911, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, collect your thoughts, go 911. And start to communicate. Don't call them in a frantic, ah, I need help. Doesn't help. Take a deep breath, cool, calm, collected. You want to communicate clearly with the dispatcher. You want to tell them exactly where you are in 10 words or less. That's going to be the first question they ask. In Durham, you dial 911, they're going to say, Durham 911, where is your emergency? Don't tell them what's going on. Answer that first question. Tell them to the best of your ability where you are. So 10 words or less. They don't want a five-minute conversation is where they are. They want where are you to the best of your ability. Tell them what the nature of the injury is. Someone fall off a bike, I think they have a head injury, or I think they have a broken arm, or they're having a medical emergency, I think they might be having a cardiac arrest, or whatever. Tell them clearly and concisely what's going on and why you need help. Don't hang up with the dispatcher until he or she says it's okay. 
they're going to ask you some questions two or three times. Um, part of that is to confirm uh, the information you're telling them. Part of that is to confirm that they heard it correctly. Uh, there was an instance a few years ago where someone called 911 reported a structure fire here in Durham that said they were on, I get it mixed up, Chanticleer or Chanticliff. They're on one or the other. They said, we're at Chanticliff Circle. There's a house on fire. Well, the dispatcher interpreted that as the opposite. So if they said Chanticleer, they interpreted Chanticliff. Chanticleer is up in Lebanon's district, so north side of town. Chanticliff is where South Point um, Auto Park, the, the new um, Mercedes dealership is. That's where, that's where that street was. So they dispatched Parker Fire Department to this house in Chanticliff where there was no fire. Someone ended up dying up in Lebanon's district. She perished in a house fire. So that's why they're going to ask you multiple times. That's why it's so important to be very clear when you identify where you are. Spell out the street name if that helps. And also keep in mind, there's more than one dispatcher. At any given time, Durham 911 has 10 people on duty downtown. Sometimes they have more. Sometimes they have maybe one or two less. But they've always got at least right around 10 people on duty. So one person can be answering the phone. Actually, four people answer the phones. The other six people are dispatching. So while you're talking to them, don't feel like, well, don't you, need to, don't you need to dispatch them? They're typing it into a computer, sending it to someone at the next console, and they're dispatching us. So there's someone else that's telling us where to go. Usually within 45 seconds of you saying, giving your location, and the nature. So someone's hurt and I'm on the tobacco trail, we're already being dispatched within about 45 seconds. So that's how fast it is. Be patient especially some of these more remote locations, it takes time for us to get there. As I said before, if you're on the tobacco trail, we got to hook up that trailer and, and come on out. It's staged right there, but it takes time to hook that up. If you're you know, on a, a more rural road or you're on a road, sure, we can just hop in the truck and head that way. It's still going to take us time to get there. So just be patient. And we've got to do it safely. We don't want to cause another accident getting to your accident. After we arrive on scene, have somebody flag us down. If you're in an intersection, we're probably going to know where you're at because we're going to see, hey man, there's someone lying on the road in the middle of an intersection. That's probably where our patient is. Common sense, right? If you're at an intersection, or excuse me, if you're at an address, we're looking for our address numbers. doesn't hurt if you have someone out here just going like this. You don't have to do what we call the EMS dance. That's this. You don't, you don't, you don't have to do that. Just, we're right here. It's fine. Or if you're on the tobacco trail or you're on another limited use trail, send someone down to wherever you told us to come. So if you said O'Kelly Chapel and the tobacco trail, send someone down there who can just go, hey guys, they're about a half mile up this way or they're a full mile up this way, just so we can kind of identify which direction we're going, what's going on, maybe get a little bit of information like, are they conscious? Are they breathing? Are they alive? Cool, they're alive. That makes life a whole lot easier just to start. Don't stop your interventions just because we arrive. So if you're holding C-spine, keep holding C-spine. Wait until we come up and relieve you. We say, hey, man, you're good. Thank you. Or, ma'am, thank you very much. We're good. Don't stop what you're doing just because we show up. Have one person talk to us. When you've got six people in a gaggle around one person, they're all trying to tell us what happened, it makes it really, really hard for us as responders to kind of get a clear picture as to what happened. So if you're able, elect one person to describe what happened and identify any interventions that you've, you've done. So ask us how you can help. You're holding his spine. Hey, would you like me to keep hold, holding his head? 
Sir, that'd be great. Please keep doing that. We'll, we'll relieve you in just a second. And again, this one's kind of callous. Don't get upset if we ask you to back up. Um, unfortunately, when there's large crowds gathering, it makes it harder for us to provide care, makes it harder for us to bring equipment in. So if people say, hey, do you all mind backing up? Or, hey, guys, just, just back up for us, okay? Please don't get offended if we ask you to do that. All right, basic first aid kit. I kind of threw this together in the back of my mind over the past couple of weeks, trying to think of something that would allow you to handle a fairly basic rudimentary injuries without adding too much load to you guys as cyclists. I recognize that you're space and weight limited. So I've put together a suggested kit. It consists of two gloves just to help keep, um, keep you from getting blood on you or bodily fluids, that sort of thing. Um, nitrile, try and avoid latex, just because there's so many people out in the world that have latex allergies. We, fire departments, EMS, hospitals, we're all latex free. So if you go to CVS, Walgreens, try and pick up uh, latex free gloves. A triangle bandage or two to help with those stabilizations. A four by four or two to help with stopping that blood. And a roller gauze. Um, but all of this fits very nicely inside of a pair of gloves. Now you have a fairly basic, nice, neat, easily compressible first aid kit you can keep in your saddlebag, um, a pocket, jersey pocket, somewhere that's going to provide a little bit of PPE, so personal protective equipment, i.e. gloves, and just some basic stuff you can help to use, help a fellow cyclist if they get hurt. Um, along with water. I assume we, we, we talked earlier, everyone's got water. You know, it's interesting because I usually carry a Gatorade or something. Yeah. If in a situation like that, can you still clean the wound with that? Um, I try and keep Gatorade from getting into the wound, but if you wanted to use that to help clean the sides to wash around it, sure. Do you use the health app on iPhone without having to unlock the phone? Yes. It's got all your health information there for EMS people retreat. If you have an iPhone, I think Android's got a similar thing. You know, you wake it up, you can just click the home button or click the side button, however you have to log into your phone. I know it changes now with newer phones. We as first responders or anybody can tap the emergency button if it's set up. And then it's got a little button down here that says medical ID, a little red star with medical ID. I can tap that and it will give me Contact information for you, any allergies you have, who your spouse or significant other, your blood type, height, weight, that sort of information. So you guys can see it's, it's actually built into the Apple operating system. It's called Health. Um, a lot of people have Life Alert bracelets that have the same sort of information. Okay, so if someone, you think someone's going into shock, the best thing to do, it's very easy. If they're lying down, elevate their legs. And what that's going to do is that's going to help push some of that blood to the core of their body so it'll be easier for the heart to pump to the brain and through the lungs. Um, if they're sitting, have them lie down if you're able to move them. Um, so if you think of something, want more information about something, I'd be happy to respond to an email and have it sent out to, to the masses, so to speak. Um, very, 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 very